our Bibles and go to Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23, I'd like to teach a lesson entitled, Blessed by God. I think there are a number of people in this world that don't understand the differences between blessings and curses, especially when it has to do with Christians. And we misunderstand what's going on when some people may encounter a few misfortunes. And the reason I know that, because when I listen to people on television from time to time, if they're talking about the Kennedy family and the numerous tragedies they've had, sometimes you'll hear a reporter talk about the supposed Kennedy curse. Now, all of us know that if you have a a number of people in your family, then, of course, that only increases the chances where you're going to have Uh, difficult things and challenging things that will happen to people. But what I want you to understand is that for us that are Christians, we are blessed people. We are not cursed people. So the title of the lesson is Blessed by God. And in Numbers 23, notice verse number 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I've received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Now that's an interesting text that deals with Balaam, and I'll make a few statements about him in a little while, but I do want to take the time to bring to your attention Genesis 12, where it talks about Abraham. Sometimes we need to go back to the beginning in order to understand how the blessings began for the nation of Israel, which then continued to the body of Christ through Jesus, who himself being a descendant of the tribe of Judah. Genesis 12, look at verses 2 and 3. He says to Abraham, whom he has already told to leave his country and his family, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, Abram was called by God to leave the area we know today as Iraq. And when he departed from that area, he turned his back on the paganism that his ancestors were involved with. We know that from Joshua chapter 24. It says that his ancestors worshipped other gods. But he heard the voice of God that spoke to him and told him to leave. And through the relationship that he had with God, he stepped out in faith going to a land that God would show him. When he did this, as you can see in verses two and three, the Lord continued to use the word bless. Then he goes so far as to say that those that bless you, I will bless. The people that curse you, I will curse. The children of Israel are descendants of Abraham, but at no time did they curse Abraham. They loved Abraham. They even told Jesus in the Gospels, we're descendants of Abraham. And they didn't mind making their boast in him. But when we think of Abraham's justification by faith, 
The Lord took a man whose past was pretty bad and then made him a righteous man solely on the basis of his trust and faith and confidence in God. Having done so, being justified, the Lord cut him off from all of the ancestral worship that was involved with his grandparents and so forth so that he could continue in his relationship with God. When the children of Israel began through Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph and were in the wilderness, you'll remember they were brought out of there by the mighty hand of God. God did miracle signs and wonders and brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness. At no time did they cease to be blessed of God. They were blessed when they were in Egypt. When the plagues came, we know that God secured safety for the children of Israel. The Bible tells us that when they were in the wilderness, even though they were in unbelief, they didn't lose the blessing that came from the covenant with Abraham. The fruit from that covenant, the benefits from that covenant accrued to them in every generation. And this is why God gave them manna every single day except the Sabbath. This is why the Lord provided quail for them and preserved them. This is why the scripture says that they walked around in the wilderness and even their sandals did not wear out. God continued to bless them. His presence was in their midst because of the tabernacle. Well, you say, if, if they were blessed, then why do we run into words that have to do with curses? It's because in Genesis, you'll remember Adam and Eve sinned and the Lord told them, cursed is the ground because of your iniquity. Later on, we discover that the curse doesn't come upon people without a cause. We even learn that whenever people turn their backs on God and they go after other gods, the scripture says the Lord will visit iniquity upon them down to the third and fourth generation. At the same time, we learn in Malachi that if the people withhold their tithes and offerings, God says they become a cursed people because of that. And even in Haggai, when they withheld monies and refused to build the temple, the scripture says, I will curse your blessings. Through all of that, the one thing you need to understand was that Israel remained the apple of God's eye. The covenant God made with Abraham was secure. It never changed. Even though Israel sinned on many occasions, it affected how God interacted with them, but it never affected their status with God. They were a blessed people because of the fact God made a covenant with Abraham and God could not, cannot, and will not go back on his word. He preserves his word. His word is holy to him. So when we come then to this man by the name of Balaam in Numbers chapter 22, going all the way through chapter 25, we have one of the more interesting stories in the scripture. Israel in the wilderness under Moses' leadership, they had been conquering one king after another. So there was fear and terror spreading throughout the wilderness because of how God was helping the Israelites. 
Balak, who was the king of Moab, he knew that the Israelites were coming in his general direction. So he thought to himself, we need to do something to stop these people. So he came up with the bright idea. Well, Balaam is a prophet. Let's go visit Balaam and ask Balaam to pronounce a curse upon Israel. So they, he sends his entourage to see the prophet, and they show up with camels and mules, and they've got bags of gold and silver and many gifts. And they come to Balaam and said, look, there's an Israelite people. They're multiplying. Their God is helping them. I need you to curse them so that they won't overcome us. And, and Balaam, he looked at all of that money, and he looked at that wealth, and he thought, well, uh, I can only say what God tells me to say. So he went and talked to the Lord and the Lord said, look, these people are blessed. You cannot pronounce a curse upon them because they belong to me. And so Balaam went back and said, no, I can't do it. God said these folks are blessed. There's no iniquity in them and they're wonderful in his eyes. So Balak, his entourage returned, passed that message on to him. And he thought to himself, OK, everybody has a price. And so he sends Along this time, a train of donkeys and camels that were even larger and longer than the one he sent previously. And they showed up and they had everything you could think of. There's the gold, the silver, the bronze, the gifts and trailing behind a beautiful Honda Accord. And they pull all of this up in front of Balaam. And Balaam looks at all of this and he says, wow. This is this is nice. And this entourage consisted of people that were more honorable and more powerful than the last group of people. And they said, look, our master wants you to pronounce a curse upon these people. And he, he looked at that stuff and his palms got sweaty and he got to trying to figure out ways that he could he could go through all of this. And God saw what was going on in his heart. He said, let me go talk to God one more time. Just maybe he changed his mind. So Balaam goes back into the presence of God and God says, look, go ahead and go with them. Well, God already knew it was in his heart to do it. And so he comes back and he says, look, the king has said we can do this and let's take off and let's go see Balak and we'll pronounce a curse upon the people. And so he's riding this donkey, making their way around the, the mountaintops and everything, and they come through a narrow passage where there's a wall on either side, there's a small trail, and the donkey stops. And Balaam doesn't understand why he stopped, and he gets mad. He kicks the donkey, he hits the donkey, and God opens the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey says, why in the world are you beating on me? It's the only second time in the scripture where an animal spoke. We found it earlier in Genesis where the serpent spoke with Eve. But here a donkey is talking. Balaam finally had his eyes opened by God and he saw an angel standing in the passageway with a sword drawn. And the angel looked at Balaam and said, had that donkey not stopped, I would have killed you. The donkey had greater discernment than the man of God had. But that still didn't change Balaam. Balaam met with Balak and Balak took him to several locations, took him to the high places of Baal and said, let's build seven or so altars out here and offer sacrifices. Pronounce a curse upon Israel. He said, I can't do it. God has blessed these people. Took him to the top of Mount Pisgah, said, pronounce a curse upon these people. And still he said, I can't do it. 
But in the end, you know what this gentleman did? Knowing that he could not curse the children of Israel, he did tell Balak, I can teach you how to mislead them into sin. And he said, these Israelite men are different kinds of guys. They have strong appetites and strong desires. If you bring some of your prettiest Canaanite women and bring them right along by the tents of the Israelite men, these Israelite men will throw their tents open and bring them right in. And that's exactly what happened. And he led all of Israel into sin by introducing them to the Canaanite ladies who then took Israel into the worship of these other gods. It's amazing to me that that doctrine of Balaam was something so uh, dominant in the early church that even Jesus speaking to one of the seven churches talked about you have that doctrine of Balaam amongst you. People are interested in the monies. But despite that, do you still realize that Israel was special to God? Even after Balaam misled him, God still loved these people. He sent prophet after prophet to turn them in different directions. So when we take all of that and then consider what God has done for us, we come to Colossians chapter number one, and then we think of verse number 14. And we need to be reminded of what happened to us at our salvation. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Before you became a Christian, you, just like myself, we were sinners. We lived in darkness. We lived separated from God, alienated from the life of God. We thought the life we were living was pleasing to God. But then the Spirit of God comes to us, whether it was through us reading the Bible, hearing a sermon on television, sitting in church, reading a tract, listening to a gospel song or a friend talking to us. And suddenly we realize because of the power of the Holy Ghost on us that we're separated from God. We have grieved God by our lifestyle and we don't like how we feel because we realize that God doesn't bring conviction where there is no presence of guilt. God doesn't play with your emotions. If he convicts you of wrongdoing, I can assure you there's wrongdoing in your life. But wherever God comes with the power of conviction, he also simultaneously brings the ability to repent. And since you now are able to say, God, because of this godly sorrow I'm experiencing, Please forgive me of how I've lived. I am sorry for how I've lived. At the time you repent, instantly God, by his power, reaches into your chest and he squeezes that old cold, stony heart and it becomes new. You become a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A new nature is formed in you. So the scripture now says, put on the new man, put aside or put off the old man and its lies and deceit and affections. And as a Christian now, you've been translated from darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. The kingdom of his dear son is where you are accepted into the beloved. 
Jesus, when he was baptized, heard a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If you are connected to Christ, if Christ is inside of you and you are in him, God's love and favor is upon you. So understanding that, Colossians 1.14 makes it very plain. We have redemption and forgiveness. Now, pastor, what is redemption? Redemption means that God has purchased you. You belong to him, lock, stock and barrel. The blood of Jesus has procured you and brought you into his kingdom so that you're a prized possession. What does forgiveness mean? It means whatever you have done in your past, you're free of. The blood has cleansed you. The blood has washed you. The worst deed you ever did, the blood has come along and cleansed you of that. You may still have the memory, your enemies, your friends may even remind you of what you once did. And when you come in contact with people you haven't seen in 30 or 40 years, they may bring up what you once did. But because you're a new creature in Christ, you are able to say that person doesn't live here anymore. You've been redeemed. You've been totally forgiven. Now that you're forgiven, God expects you to change how you think. You need to not only change how you think about yourself, you need to change how you think about your past. Because if you don't change how you think about your past, even though you're a Christian, your past will still have strings on you and manipulate your emotions and manipulate you so that you will be emotionally disturbed and up and down on the roller coaster. You'll have blue Mondays and everything else because you haven't truly grappled with the fact that you are forgiven. At the cross, God severed your connections with all of that that is in the past. He severed it. How do I know that? Because in Ephesians chapter number one, you will notice in verse number three, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He hath blessed us. It does not say he has cursed us. It says he has blessed us. So all of that stuff that was before your Christian days, all of that stuff that used to govern and control your life, the connective tissues of that have been cut off by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ so that what your ancestors were has no power over who you are right now. That's an important concept to pick up on because there are a whole lot of people that have come to the conclusion that because I have six generations of people in my family with children born out of wedlock, that I too have to be someone that has a child born out of wedlock. That is a lie. The moment you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he saves you and changes you and he separates you from all of that so that you can start anew in the kingdom. Doesn't matter if your grandfather was a warlock and your grandparents were witches. If you love God, the choices you make now are going to determine the kind of life that you're going to lead. Now, we've got a lot of people in this world today 
that find it difficult to escape the clutches of their past because they hear a thousand voices telling them, you've got to watch it because the people in your family, they've got a history of suicide. And since they have a history of suicide and mental disorders, there's a very good chance that when you hit about 47, things are going to start going downhill. The devil is a lie. You do not have to believe that. Once you became a Christian, your eye color didn't change. Your DNA didn't change. Your body type didn't change. The color of your hair didn't change. Your house did not change. However, spiritually, you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. And if we don't figure out what those spiritual blessings are, then we'll forever be loaded down with what our uncle did. And because of that, we can't get free of that. And there are a whole lot of people in this world that have been abused in a variety of different ways. And because they've never come to understand what Christ did for them in redemption, they live every day of their life in the bondage of yesteryear. Worrying about what an auntie said about them or what, what some uncle, some distant relative said about their life. You are not bound by what they say. Scripture makes it very plain, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It doesn't say, as your neighbors think about you, so you are. It says, as you think about yourself. So returning to the scripture then. If Ephesians 1 and 3 says that you're blessed with all spiritual blessings, then there's not a whole lot of room left for curses in your life. If all spiritual blessings have come to you, Why are you worried that you'll never be able to get over that tongue that uses foul language? I can promise you that's not a devil that needs to be cast out of your tongue. That's a decision that you're making. You need to change how you talk. If if, if you're wrestling with some kind of a particular battle or habit, nobody needs to cast a tobacco devil out of you. You just need to stop lighting that lighter in those matches And you need to make a decision you're not going to smoke again. That's all that is. It's a decision you're going to have to make. And Christ, by grace, has given you the power to overcome it. How do I know that? The scripture says to every man has been given temptation, but to every man there's a way of escape. Either we believe the Bible or we don't. And the faith that you put in the words of men and women who tell you you won't be free Why not turn around and put the same faith in God's word who says you are free? 2,000 years ago, he set set you free. So then, in Acts chapter 3 now, if you'll notice in verse 26, we see another form of this blessing. Unto you, first, God, having raised up his son, Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So in Acts chapter 3, verse 26, we see part of understanding the reason Jesus came and the blessing of the Lord is to turn us from sin and transgression. And that's called a blessing. Most people wouldn't think of it that way, but that's exactly what it is. Every generation has people that have problems in their families, but you don't have to live according to the problems of the people in your family. You can order your steps according to the word of God. You can pattern your life after the model Jesus Christ and you can break the old mold and create a brand new cast. And God can do something great if we'll learn that we're blessed by God. But it is true 
that everything outside of Christ is cursed. And everything outside of Christ is darkness. And everything outside of God is error and wrong. That's true. And it's perverse and crooked. But when you apply God to it, then you can use it in ways that bless people. Now, why is it that a God of love who cares so much about people has a place prepared called heaven, but also has a place prepared called hell? Well, the scripture says he prepared hell for the devil and his angels. It never was God's intention for any of his human creation to go there. You say, why do people go there? Because it's a choice. People choose to reject the knowledge of God. They choose to walk away from the Lord Jesus Christ. They choose to trample the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a holy thing. You say, well, why doesn't God do everything he can to stop them? He has done everything. He is doing everything he can to stop them. Let me give you an illustration. There was a father in Connecticut many years ago who had lost his wife and he had a son and he was telling the son one evening that he wanted him to stay home with him. And the son was saying, I'm going out tonight and meet some of my old old gang down at the pool hall. Let's tell you how long ago this story was back in the 30s. He said, I'm going to the pool hall. That's where they're at. And I want to be with them. And he said, son, please stay home. I love you. I don't want you out there running with that crowd because you get involved with bad things. He said, well, I'm going out anyhow, Dad. I don't want to stay home. And he said, don't you remember just a few weeks ago before we buried your mother out there on the mound in the backyard? You knelt by her bed as she was dying and you promised her you'd give up that old life and your old friends. He said, I'm begging you. He put his hands on his shoulder, said, I'm begging you. Stay home, please. This old house is empty and so lonely without you. He said, Dad, I'm of age. I'm an adult. I can come and go when I want. I can go where I want. I can go when I want and wherever I want. And I don't have to offer any excuses at all. And that father got down on that. He laid down in that hallway and said, son, if you go out there tonight, you're going to have to step over my body to go out there. And that boy was amazed that his dad would lay down there on that floor like that. But that boy stepped over his dad and passed out into the darkness of the night in sin. Now, I'm telling you, God has done everything he can to stop us from going in the wrong direction. But when that young man left that house and went out there into that world of sin where he was going to, that was a choice that he made. And God has put the cross in front of people. He's put people in front of them every day. And every time somebody witnesses to someone said, please don't go there. Please don't do that. Please turn from your wicked ways. That's God putting his hand on somebody else saying, would you please slow down? But how many times have people stepped right on over the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because they're headstrong and determined to do what they want to do? You can't have a blessed life when you live like that, you see. A blessed life comes to those that abide in the house, that stay with God, that walk with God, that live under the favor and the blessing of God. And we have a group of people today that don't even understand the difference between what it means to live a blessed life and what it means to live a life that's totally dependent upon the adversary. Now, I hear people continually talking about generational curses and over and over again they remind people about their ancestral uh, history 
And they like to go into all the things of their past. And if they can just detect all the evil things that have gone on somewhere back there in Auntie Jenny's life, then they can show that there's some kind of connection to you. And it's very likely you're going to continue in that. I'm telling you, if you're born again, folks, you cut off from that. You don't have to live your life according to the memories of what somebody else back there in the past has done. What you've got to do is renew your mind with the word of God. Realize greater is he that's in you that's in this world and then become an overcomer. To be an overcomer means you've got to come over certain things. If you're going to have a testimony, you've got to face tests and challenges. But you can have victory in your life if you understand you're blessed by God. So why is the teaching today of generational curses something that is so popular amongst Christians? Well, all I can tell you is that people are constantly looking for some new teaching that will give them what they think is victory. But here's what you need to know. When you exhibit faith in any kind of generational curse, you're living in fear. You're walking in superstition. There's no doubt about it because you're very fearful of any kind of evil tidings. But the scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power and a sound mind. That's what the scripture says. It says Jesus has come to undo the works of the devil, to destroy them, to untie them, to unloose you from those works. Now, I think some time ago I might have told you a story. I can't remember all the details now, but I do have the, the outline in my head. There was a, a family out on the West Coast somewhere where they, they had discovered somewhere within 9, 10, 11 generations or so that all of the men had spent time in prison. And so there was a young lady working on her doctoral dissertation, and, and she thought this was quite fascinating. So she wanted to go out there and interview one of the gentlemen. She got there, spoke to an elderly man who was about in his late 80s or so, and she said, I'd like to know how all of this happened. And he explained to her that going back as far as I can remember, all of my ancestors that were men had been in the prison. And she said, well, how did this even happen with you? And so they went outside of the town to the penitentiary that was several miles from where he was living. Had a big fence going all around him. And he told her, said, when I was about four years of age, five years of age or somewhere in there, my great grandfather walked me out here to this place and said to me that myself, my dad and granddad have all spent time living in that prison right there. And when you become an adult, you take a good look at that place. You also are going to be incarcerated there just like your father and just like your grandfather. And sure enough, it happened just like that with that young man. But I'm telling you right now, he could have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and that cycle could have been broken at Calvary. He come to know Jesus. You do not have to follow the same pattern. Just because three generations previous to you all lived on government assistance. You do not have to live your life that way. You can change the way that you think. God has a way of doing this. So when you exhibit faith in these curses that you think are generational and you think are still operating in your life as a Christian, you're living in fear. Secondly, you diminish the value and the power of Christ's work of redemption. 
He saved you in order to bring you out of iniquity. Why in the world do you want to allow your life to be governed by the life you once lived? I know that we all have to live with the consequences of our actions. If somebody goes out and robs a bank tonight, they're they're probably, if they get caught, they're going to end up in court. And they could go through the whole court proceedings and and repent while they're going through the proceedings and become a Christian. But when the verdict comes down and they say, you've got to do two years in jail, they're just going to do two years in jail while they're a Christian now. But being a Christian is not what led them to the prison. See, doing something sinful is what brought about that. So we don't want to diminish the power of Christ's work of redemption. The scripture says, whom the son makes free is free indeed. That's John 8, 36. So his life comes to change us. Once you stop believing that Jesus freed you through his blood and forgave you your sins and forgave you of your unbelief, and sets you free from your past, if you don't believe that, you're going to surrender yourself to new systems of deliverance. You're going to be looking for new ways to get free. And there's a whole lot of that going on right now, folks. Think about it. we, Even in churches today, we have young people on depression medication. We have people today who, because of abuse in their parents' lives, Sexual abuse in their own life. They have a difficult time functioning in this world. They go from one bad day to another bad day. And I'm telling you right now, it has nothing to do with any curse in their life. It has to do with thinking that is not ordered biblically. That's what it has to do with. So you surrender yourself to different systems of deliverance and you, you start looking for freedom. And then when you're, you're talking to people, people start saying things like, well, look, I can help you, but here's what you're going to have to do. When I started preaching in the mid 80s, a very popular book in many churches was a book entitled Pigs in the Parlor. I thought that was one of the oddest books I'd ever read in my life. That was a book that taught Christians that you can be born again and love God and have a devil. Now think about that. The scripture says God comes into your life, changes you by his blood, takes your body, transforms it into the temple of the Holy Ghost. And then somebody comes along and tells you that not only is God living inside you, but the devil is inhabiting that nature also. Thought it was the oddest thing I'd ever heard. No wonder we had so many Christians that were all mixed up mentally. When you become a Christian... I can tell you, ain't no devils in this parlor or in yours if you're born again. If you're struggling with things in your life, you're struggling with habits and problems and things, this is a product of the flesh. You're going to have to deal with that. The scripture says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It never said when you became a Christian, you wouldn't have desires. It simply said, if you walk in the Holy Ghost, you won't fulfill those lustful desires. So the person who's having cravings and desires to do this and do that, that doesn't necessarily mean they've got a devil that are full of the devil. But it does mean they have desires and you can put those down and reckon yourself to be dead in Christ, the scripture says. And this is one of the problems we're having today with our young teenagers who are being told by society and culture and teachers and people that, You don't really know who you are and you should give 
unrestrained license to who you are and allow those emotions and those passions to manifest. My goodness, if he's nine years old and he doesn't know if he's a boy or a girl and he's a boy, let him like another boy. I'm telling you that is absolutely wrong. Those things have to be suppressed. Those things have to be pushed under. If you say that you're predisposed to thieve, and to take what belongs to other people. I'm going to tell you right now, it'd be better for you if you stay off of some people's property. Because if you don't stay off of people's property, there's somebody on that property that'll help you stay off that property. You've got to suppress those desires. So these books very often have led us into deeper darkness and confusion and perplexity. So we've got gender identity crisis because we don't even understand how to deal with the nature that we have. So with all the books in the last 25 years that have come out on generational curses that have said to people, we're going to help you identify what's wrong. See, if you if 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 you got a mom that that just liked a whole lot of men, then they'll say that's a spirit of whoredom. And sees even though you're a Christian, you got a lot of that back there. And so that spirit of whoredom is probably going to be at work in you. Doesn't have to be that way, folks. When 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 my pastor had had a had somebody who was a guest evangelist come and preach at our church in Cleveland, Ohio, many years ago, she said, "How many of you folks in here have a Native American?" heritage, ancestry. So my hand went up just like a hundred other people. And so she said to all those folks, okay, come on down. I'm going to break that, break you free, set you free from that. Going to take that curse off you because, you know, they worship those idols and those different religions and stuff. And so I watched all these people just, you know, just like caterpillars walking around the inside of a bottle. Nobody bothered to stop. They just all just wandered down there because the lady said, come. And sure enough, she got down there and did all her hocus pocus. And by the time she was done, she, she said, okay, you're free now. So later after the service, she, she saw me talking to my pastor and, and she comes up to me and she says, I saw you, you raised your hand. You said you had Native American ancestor. I said, yes, you're correct. She said, I, I saw you didn't come down to the altar for the prayer. Why didn't you come down? I said, there's no need to come down. Jesus set me free from that on the day I was born again. And I said, any teaching that presumes to be able to do what only the blood is capable of doing is either a work of the flesh or a doctrine of the devil. And the moment you begin to allow people to mislead you in that direction, you are empowering them to judge your natural and spiritual life. So that that pastor comes along and says, "Okay, now, come on, tell tell me a little bit about your mother and your grandmother. You know, you, you say, well, you know, grandma didn't care too much for God and and my grandma didn't get along with my mom and. My grandma didn't even like any of her kids, didn't like my dad. And so, you know, that, 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 that pastor's taking down writing notes. And, and then he asks you a few more questions. Tell me about your siblings. Well, my siblings and I never did really get along. And, and, and one of them is involved with this, one of them involved with that. He's taking these notes. And then afterwards, he's going to get one of those books. He's going to compare those notes to what that book says. And then that's how he's going to measure all of that up. And he says, look, this is what you're going to need to do if you're going to overcome your past and overcome these, these things in your life. Folks, I'm telling you, the whole thing is a waste of time. Listen to me. I've got people in my family who are lawyers 
I've got people in there who are managers of all kinds of big businesses. I've got folks in that family that, that own car dealerships, folks that are millionaires, but also got some folks in there that are somewhat seedy and involved with some terrible things. But I can promise you this, whatever the bad folks are involved with, none of that controls me. When I came up on the east side of Cleveland, Ohio, in that neighborhood where I lived at, there were people that were selling drugs. I've seen people get shot dead right in the front yard. I've seen people selling drugs right there on the streets, and I've seen kids in the school selling them out of their, out of their locker right there in the school. But at no point did I ever come to believe that my life was going to be determined by the environment that I lived in. I came to know Jesus Christ. The blood cleansed me of my sins. I was truly forgiven. I no longer had to be an angry little kid that was mad because mom and dad divorced when I was little. See, there are a whole lot of folks in this world today. They've never allowed the blessing of God to overtake them because they focus on what's wrong with them. Yeah, they focus on, on what the problem is from the past. These kinds of people in the churches will profit monetarily from your ignorance. Because you don't know to think on things that are holy and lovely and of a good report. So you're, you're fixated on the fact that, that grandma or mama cussed you out and then put you out of the house when you were 11 years of age. and You had to go stay with an uncle. And then when you got with that uncle, that uncle abused you and mis mistreated you. And so you're, you're fixated on all of that anger and all of that problem. And I'm telling you, folks, when you come to know Christ and he redeems you and he forgives you, you're free. You're free. You may not feel free, but you're free. So now it's a matter of transforming our minds because our emotions are connected with our thinking. If you sit there and think about people that hurt you, you become angry, you become embittered. But if you change your thinking and arrange your thoughts biblically and count your blessings, you begin to think the thoughts of God and become a happier person. There's no doubt about it. You don't have to live under the canopy of a curse when you can live under the open heavens of the blessings of God. It's all about a choice that you, you have to make. Let me finish this up. So all of these modern teachings in the church that are leading people from one curse to another, it's all basically a revised form of the doctrine of Balaam. In ancient times, that people wanted to pay Balaam to curse the people of God. But now we're paying people to tell us that we're cursed. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Why, why would you even want to have somebody telling you that you're a Christian and you're cursed? Why would you want somebody to have power enough in your life to explain to you that even though you're born again, that, that the problems you're having in your life is because of what happened two generations ago? Every one of us in here, including myself, we all have baggage. There's no doubt about that. Because you come from sin into righteousness, that doesn't mean you don't have baggage. But we deal with our baggage differently than people who don't know God. You say, what do we do with our baggage? We lay it at the foot of the cross. And we say, God, I'm stepping away from this, believing that you're going to have power to take this away from me. And if tomorrow morning you wake up and you find yourself struggling again, then in that moment you say, God, I'm laying this at the cross one more time. Because his grace does not run out. He loves you. Don't let people put you in bondage when it comes to this. 
And when folks are trying to mislead you, hit the delete button. Hit the reject button. Hit the eject button. Just cast that stuff out of that head and begin to think the thoughts of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. There's no way on this earth I'm going to live every day depressed when he's done so much to put a smile on my face. You may be facing all kinds of difficulties in your life right now, dealing with a lot of tough issues that no one knows about but you. But I'm telling you right now, at Calvary, there is power to deliver. And through his resurrection, we can get up and walk out of it. See, We can walk out of it. And that's exactly what happened with Lazarus. Lord said to Lazarus, he said, come forth. He came mumbling or he came stepping out of that tomb. He was all wrapped up. But you know what happened when they freed him? He didn't wander back into that tomb. He went right on back out there and he lived. And when Jesus Christ frees you, why in the world do you want to go back into a grave again? Why do you want to go back to a sepulcher? Just because somebody told you, I think you got a spirit of Jezebel. Oh, really? The only reason you think I got a spirit of Jezebel because I won't let you manipulate me. That's all. Or somebody says, I, th- I think you got a spirit of rebellion on you. Of course you do because I won't obey you. Live according to the word of God and don't allow people to put you in bondage. Let's stand. Doesn't matter how bad your life has been. Think about how good it's about to get. Doesn't matter what all your neighbors and friends have told you. You may have people in your family during this holiday season when folks are getting together. You may have family members that try to poke and prod and create problems and strife in your life and try to instigate stuff. Don't even fall for it. And when they tell you who you used to be, no sense in lying. (laughs) You're absolutely right. I was a scoundrel. But he's dead. See, he's dead. And I'm a Christian now. Not perfect. God's still working on me. The under construction sign is not only on the front, it's on the back of this here building. I can tell you I'm not who I used to be. And that is where we have to live as Christians. With victory and power and might. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Let's pray. Father, you know the situations here in every home and in every individual life. But Father, we also know what you did at Calvary years ago. Father, when I think about the the stories and the histories of a lot of different families, I am so glad that at Calvary you've given us all an opportunity to write a new story. In this fellowship tonight, Lord, there are people that in the history of their family, there's probably been everything from heart disease to cancer and everything else. But, Father, we do know you're our great physician, and that does not have to be the lot of our life. And, Father, even though there may have been a whole lot of people that never made it to their 60th birthday but passed away because of this, that, or the other, we know that that does not have to be the lot of our life. God, just because other people had abused lives and depressed lives and mentally disordered lives, that does not mean that we have to have nervous breakdowns every third year. But Father, we stand on your word, Ephesians 1 and 3, and we proclaim and we announce and we believe that we are blessed. And Father, we thank you that we're blessed beyond measure, Lord.
Your grace has been abundantly supplied in our lives. Our marriages are going to be good, even though we may be surrounded by a culture with bad marriages. We're going to love our spouses. And Father, we're going to maintain our chastity as single people, even if the world says that adultery and fornication is okay. We thank you, we love you, we honor you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.